my friends. Welcome back to the story of. I hope you had a great week. Remember how last week I reported, recorded my podcast and as I was editing, I got halfway through it or however long through it and the audio just went to crap. I don't know what the deal was, but I was like, oh, this sucks. I'm not re-recording it though. I don't have, to, I don't have time. I'm so, I'm stretched so thin and this is, I love doing this podcast and Anyway, so that sucked. I have a whole new program, so hopefully that won't happen again. Thank you for listening if you did. This week is going to be a little bit short and sweet because I have a big, a bigger story coming up next week about a pretty prominent person who you know, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it and let you guys find out who it is. Somebody I've been wanting to to talk about for a while. So I'm going to shut my big fat mouth about things that don't matter and I am going to dive right in. In Mississippi, there's this tiny little rural town called Vaughn and it's a really quiet community. It's a small community where everyone knows everyone. You know the type. I've never, I mean, I've heard of them. I've never lived in one, but they sound really, really fun and charming and cute and cozy. So if you live in one, tell me, because I want to know what it's like. Sometimes I'm like, hmm, maybe I'll give up my life in California and just go live somewhere small and raise my family like that. It just sounds really fun. It's this quiet community And it's probably, you know, it's like one of those places where no one locks their doors probably, which I don't get. And maybe it's because I'm from Vegas or I just consume a lot of true crime. But lock your doors, people. Vaughn, Mississippi is the type of place that revolves around church and porches and sweet tea and drama. Everybody knows everybody's business. In Vaughn, there is a well-known and well-respected family named the Hargens. The Hargens were a well-established cattle farming family. I was going to say company, but they're a family. And they owned land all over Yazoo County. I wish that the West Coast would pick up on some of these cool names like Yazoo. I wish I lived in in Yazoo County, but over here because I don't want to go to Mississippi. We have a bunch of Spanish names and that's, that's cool and and all, but Yazoo is pretty cool. The Hargens were well liked because they were kind. They were known to be very generous and kind, and they helped people who whoever needed help. They helped them. They would drop what they were doing, give them the shirts off their back. They're those kind of people. Haywood and Diane Hargan had. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure how many kids, but one of them was a son named Michael. And Michael was this slender guy. He had brown hair. He was known to have a quick wit. He was very generous and kind. And while he was in high school, he met a girl named Rebecca, who was two years older than him. But they were, they started dating and they were just totally smitten with each other. After high school, Michael and Rebecca got married. And it was great. The family was happy. Rebecca fit in well with his family and they were it sounds like they were all just really close and got along really well. Michael worked in construction and Rebecca was a physical therapist assistant and Rebecca was just a little petite dirty blonde gal 
and she she was known to be just as kind as her husband was. And it wasn't long before Michael and Rebecca welcomed their first baby into the world, little boy named James Patrick, which was after Michael's grandpa. During Christmas of 2003, the family had gotten together to celebrate the holidays and just enjoy each other's company. And they were happy to be together and celebrate, but there was kind of a dark cloud hanging over them because Michael's mom, Diane, had just been diagnosed with cancer. So fast forward a couple months. On Valentine's Day of 2004, stuff starts to go down. Michael and Rebecca were at home that night. They were celebrating at home. It was a Friday night. They had plans to go to the rodeo the next evening. But when that morning, Saturday morning, February 15th, rolled around, neighbors noticed that something was off about their house. Michael's truck was in the driveway, but the door was wide open. And the, the door to the house was ajar. It wasn't shut. It wasn't wide open, but it wasn't shut. And that was weird because nobody could get a hold of them. And so, and they knew that with Diane's uh, cancer diagnosis, Michael wouldn't have just taken off. So for all of them to be gone, it was just weird. So Michael's aunt went over to their house and just wanted to check on them and make sure that they're okay. Nobody could get a hold of them. And when she walked into the house, things seemed to be in order for the most part. There are a few things strewn around. But the thing that got her was there were, were blood splatters, spatters on the wall. So she calls the police and their home became a crime scene. During their initial investigation, they found James's nebulizer and medication for his asthma inside of Michael's truck. And so that gave them a sense of urgency because this boy's like three or four And he's got asthma and it's, you know, if you're asthmatic, you got to have your stuff. And so they were worried that if he didn't have this, something would happen to him. Along with the things that were strewn around and the blood spatters, they also found bullet casings. And so it was clearly something, something terrible happened here. The only weapons that were around the house belonged to the Hargans, but none of them had been fired. So they, they didn't know where the weapon was that caused the blood spatter. They had no idea. They also found a black ball cap and they made special note to say that it smelled weird and wrong and gross. I don't know what terms they used, but that's what I gathered. And it turns out there was monkey hair on it. I wonder if there's monkey pee on it too, to make it smell really, really gross. And I think maybe whoever killed Michael shared a wardrobe with a monkey. So investigators had this big old mystery on their hands and they started diving into it by digging into the family's past. And so this is when they learned that this wasn't the first time the family had been through a tragedy. Ten years earlier, before Michael and Rebecca's home was a house, it was actually this small convenience store called Fowler Road Grocery. And it was just this small one-story brick building. It was ran as that convenience store until 1994 when something real bad happened. Haywood, Michael's dad, was at the store going about his day. It was a Friday, which meant that the store would have money on hand to cash checks. And an armed man came into the store while 
whoever his two accomplices were waited by the car. I don't, it's not funny, but that whole scene with the two guys waiting out by the car and then he goes in to steal reminds me of that scene on Malibu's Most Wanted where B-Rad goes into the store, the, the convenience store, because the guys who kidnapped him told him that he needs to go steal something to prove that he can run his streets. And so he's like, okay. And he's, he can't do it. He, he's like, in his mind, he's like, how am I going to do this? And the guy at the counter is like, can I help you? And he's like, no, (laughs) he gets scared. Anyway, that's what the two accomplices remind me of. Like, they're like, yeah, let's do this, but you're going to go, right? I'm just going to wait by the car. Anyway, it ended up tragically because the man in the store held Haywood at gunpoint and he was trying to rob him of the money that he had on hand. And before a customer came in and interrupted the robbery, how dare she, the audacity, the man shot and killed Haywood and made off with a whole whopping $114. Do you think he got a a bigger cut from the other guys? Do you think they split it three three ways? Or do you think uh, the guy who did the deed got the bigger cut? Michael was 16 at this time, and of course, he was devastated. He Not only did he lose his dad, but he lost him in such a horrendous way. And so after Haywood's death, the Hargans turned the building into a home, and eventually Michael would move into it with his family. So they were living at the scene of a crime, and it was his dad. It was just, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. But the three men who were involved in Haywood's death were caught and convicted. Thank goodness. But investigators were thinking that maybe they had something to do with Michael and his family's disappearance because they had testified against these dudes at their parole hearing. And they're like, don't let him out. And so they thought, oh, maybe they have something to do with it. Police launched a search for for the missing family while investigators continued to work behind the scenes. And they learned that Michael had come into an inheritance from his late uncle Charles. And it was just before Charles passed away. I think it was January of that year, actually. So just literally the month before. And so this was a huge break in the case because this this could be a motive. Maybe they got kidnapped for ransom. Maybe somebody was mad they didn't get the inheritance. Police had Ernest Hargan and his wife, Lisa, who was a vet, come in for to meet with investigators to be questioned. So Ernest was Michael's cousin. When Ernest was a kid, his mom married Charles and Charles adopted Ernest and raised him. But then when he got to his early 40s, he was a trucker and Ernest's life just started to unravel because he got hooked on meth. He started taking it to stay awake for long trips. He, he hauled cattle. I believe, and he would take these long trips and meth. And so he got hooked on it and his life started to fall apart. And I'm sure that was part of the reason that he didn't have a good relationship with Charles. And just before Charles passed away, he made a little change to his will and he cut Ernest out of it in favor of Michael. And he left Michael a 50 acre cattle farm. (laughs) That sucks. When Ernest and Lisa met with the investigators, they were very cooperative And they wanted to help in any way that they could. This was his cousin. What could have possibly happened? So, you know, investigators are like, great, great, yeah. That's great. Let's have you take a 
a polygraph then. And he cooperated. He was happy to do it. The results were inconclusive, leaning towards him telling the truth. So he was still a suspect, but they didn't really have anything to go off of. And so they started to look for new leads. And every lead kind of fizzled out as soon as they got started on it until someone came with them, came to them with a tip that there was a white van that was seen at Michael and Rebecca's house between daybreak, like dawn and eight that morning that they were found to be missing. So they started searching for this van and it turns out Vaughn, Mississippi is also home to lots of creepy white vans. Because there are a whole bunch of them and they were using up a lot of manpower to kind of process these vans, I guess, because they, to, in order, obviously, in order to determine which one possibly was linked to this crime, they had to go through each one, each one. And they just kept hitting a bunch of dead ends, but then they were graced with the biggest lead of all. Lisa, remember her? Lisa the vet, Ernest Hargan's wife, came down to the station on her own accord and she wanted to talk to the investigators. So she sits down with them and she tells them that the night before Michael and his family had gone missing, Ernest had gotten up in the middle of the night and left. The next morning, he called Lisa and he told her that if anyone asks, they were together all night. And so Lisa's like, this obviously isn't sitting right with her. She's like, what? So that night, while Lisa and Ernest went out for a little Valentine's Day supper, word had gotten out that Michael, Rebecca, and James were all missing. And Lisa's not an idiot, okay? She was putting two and two together, and she started asking her husband about what what was going on? Like, where was he last night? Why are they missing? Did you have something, something to do with it? And he was like, he finally admitted like, yeah, I went over, over to Michael's and it got out of hand. And so Lisa's put in this really weird spot. She didn't know what to do. She had all this really sickening information. Her life was going to be turned upside down, whether she liked it or not, even though she had nothing to do with anything. And so she had to figure, and I mean, she's worried for her safety. I don't know a lot about their marriage, but I don't know. I feel like Ernest was probably a piece of crap to his wife. So she thought on it. She sat on it for a little bit and then she decided, okay, I have to go to the police. I can't, I, they need to know what I know and to, I need to help them. And so she gave the police her statement and it contradicted Ernest completely and completely blew the case wide open. They were like stuck at tiny little leads. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh. Okay. So during their meeting, they showed her that stanky monkey hat that whoever the killer was shared with the monkey, probably. And she recognized it because guess what? It was Ernest and it was probably a monkey's too, but not just any monkey, Lisa's monkey, because she was a monkey mom. So cool, huh? She had a pet monkey. I'm sorry, I just have to interject one more time about a personal story. My sister had a boyfriend who would buy her exotic pets all the time. She would just, I don't know, she would just talk him into it or what. So, sister, if you're listening to this, 
I want you to give me the details, but I know she, he got her a sugar glider, which are adorable. I, I don't know what happened to all these animals. I never met any of them because I didn't live in state at the time. But that, a sugar glider, a kinkajou, which I didn't know what that was, but that's like some kind of exotic monkey, I guess. He bought her all this stuff. And I, I don't know what he's doing these days. He was a good guy. A good guy with connections to exotic animals, which sounds a little bit suspect. Anyway, sister, if you're listening to this, text me the, the list of exotic animals that he bought for you, okay? Okay, so the police find out all about this, and they rush to detain Ernest before he found out that Lisa had talked to them. So to me, it sounds like he, he would have hurt her if he found out that she talked. I don't know that for sure. That's just an assumption, but that's just what it sounds like. And so they find him. And when they got there, they, he gave up without a fight. He's like, okay, but he wouldn't give them any information. And so they're like, all right, well, we're going to hold you and we are going to get a search warrant for your property. So that's what they did. And when they got to his house, they found bullet casings that fell out of his clothes in the wash. Can you hear that in your, in your mind? Like what that must have sounded like in the dryer? They also found bullet casings in the windshield wipers of his truck. Guilty! Ernest was heated over getting cut out of his dad's will in January of 2004, as it turns out. And so by Valentine's Day, he was still heated over it, like he had just gotten the news. He was just simmering on it and letting it sit. And so the morning after Valentine's Day, while it was still dark... So the middle of the night, he got into his 1974 Corvette and he drove it to his cousin Michael's house and he walks up to the door and he bangs on it. So Michael's like, I'm coming and he slips on his boots and he answers his door to find his crazy cousin Ernest and Ernest is pissed and they start arguing and fighting. And at some point during all this, Michael tried to get over to his truck where he kept his gun, but before he could get there... Ernest one-upped him and shot him in the head with a 22 caliber pistol, I think four times. And so Michael's dead, just like that. He didn't do anything wrong. And so by now, Ernest's adrenaline's just rushing through his veins, and he decided he's going to head inside the house and find Rebecca. And so he found Rebecca, shot her in the arm, hit her in the face with the gun in his hand and he choked her. I don't know if she was unconscious or not, but I'm assuming maybe she was a little bit if being a little bit unconscious is a thing, but she was still alive. So then he went to find their baby James three or four. It, uh, I can't stand stories that have any, anybody hurting little babies, but he did. He hurt James. He choked him until he was unconscious. After that, he went back outside. He picked up Michael's body and he threw him into his Corvette. And then he dragged Rebecca out and threw him on top of, threw her on top of him and then put James on top of Rebecca. So Rebecca and James are still alive. Michael's gone. So Ernest loads him up, walks around to the driver's side of his car got in and drove away and he drove almost 100 miles south to his farm in Taylorsville and then and along the way he dropped the pistol somewhere 
when he got to wherever he was going for whatever reason, he strangled, or I think he wasn't even there yet. He was at his farm. He strangled Rebecca until she was dead. And then he moved on to James and did the same thing. And Rebecca was holding James in her arms when she died. And the only thing, like the only silver lining to this is at least they all went together and they didn't have to live this life without each other. So anyway, nasty cousin Ernest piled the three of them into a truck and then he drove down a rural road into this field in the middle of nowhere and he laid them all together and then covered them with several pieces of rusted tin. And that's what happened. So the police had Ernest, but he still wouldn't talk. So they decided with Lisa's cooperation, they were going to tell him that she was being charged with three capital murders. And, and that's what they did. And it worked. And he confessed. Sadly, Diane died just a month before his trial. Ernest was found guilty and he was sentenced to death. While he was on death row, he was stabbed 30 times by an inmate, which killed him. And I, this family's cursed because Michael had a sister who died six months later after he did. She was only 26 years old from an accidental sleeping medication overdose. And she left behind three kids. So it's, it's just sad. Like the whole family was wiped out just like that. So they've got some extended family that's still alive. Uh, no one lives in Rebecca and Michael's home now. It's it's surrounded by barbed wire just to keep, you know, people from coming in and destroying it or whatever. And it's like this memorial for them almost. They Their extended family sees it from, you know, I think down the road. They live right there, so they have to see it all the time. And it's just, it's just sad for them to see. As for Ernest, I hope he's rotten in hell. Thanks for being here. Check out my Instagram. I'm going to start posting polls. I'm going to post a poll about this one. It's the story of pod. The story of pod.com is my website. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me on, on Instagram. It's probably the best route. Just DM me. Slide into those DMs. I'll see you next week. Have a great week. I love you so much. Bye.